Hey, it's your host, Mark Santiago. I'm excited to introduce you to the next level of this podcast, Empowered AF 2.0. 2.0. In this next stage of Empowered AF, we're going to dive deeper into what it means to be an empowered man in his most advanced form. I'm talking healthy communication, healthy lifestyle, both physically and emotionally, and evolving into the man you've always wanted to be. So stick around and join me in this episode of Empowered AF 2.0. Hey, so if you're in marriage counseling, you're trying everything to win your marriage back, you're just trying to figure stuff out, and nothing seems to be working, you're doing probably the wrong thing. So that's why I created my five-day challenge for men just like you who are on the cusp of separation or divorce. You're trying to figure stuff out. You don't know what to do. So look, in this five-day challenge, I'm going to help you gain clarity on what you need to be doing. I'm going to help you understand the pain that you're in and what you need to be doing about it, how to fix that. All of this in five days for just five bucks. That's right. Five-day challenge five bucks. That's it. Get in. Do it now. Don't wait any longer. Get in right now. Do the work. It's easy. Every day you're going to get assignments. Every day you're going to get an action step to take so that you're moving forward and you're going to stop the paralysis that you're in right now where you don't know what to do. You're stuck. All that other stuff. It comes to an end today. Jump in right now. Five bucks. That's all it costs. Jump in today. Let's see on the other side. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Got a post in the Facebook group that I got to address. That's right. This guy came on saying, you got to convince me otherwise, but I think hormonal imbalances in women are the majority of the problem here. Oh, well, I got to tell you, buddy, what it sounds like is happening is your fucking ego is coming out to play. Look, it's easy to look at women and go, what's wrong with you? You're so emotional. I'm a good man, I provide for you, I blah, 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 I change, I do all these things. And then you, you know, she gets emotional and you don't know what to do with it, so you blame her. It's easy to blame her. And you hear me say this all the time, the first five episodes of this month, we talked about the lifestyle of ownership. And nothing perturbs me more than a man who wants to blame everything that's happening in his marriage on his wife's emotional shit. And I'm here to tell you, sir, that I guarantee you 100% of the time, you have a part to play in the blame. In fact, you probably are a contributor towards her emotional imbalance. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that maybe your inconsistencies as a man Maybe your inability to come through in the bedroom. Maybe your inability to provide at a high level. Maybe your inability to actually hear her and understand her. Maybe your inability to own your shit is a big part of the reason that she's emotionally unstable. Because how is an emotionally stable person to be with someone who doesn't do what they say they're going to do, who doesn't uphold their end of the bargain, and who continually blames that person for their shit instead of owning their own shit, instead of taking responsibility for their actions? No, instead what they do is they blame it on the other person. So I would say to you, it's actually very much more possible that you are to blame in this situation. Granted, I don't know what her deal is. And I understand the mental health side of things. I was married to a woman who had a mental health issue. But me leaving the marriage, me choosing to walk away from the marriage, had just as much to do with me than it did for her. 
It wasn't just that she wouldn't play by my rules. It was that I was toxic when I was with her. It was that I did not have the ability. And after working on myself, I still didn't have the ability to fully be in a relationship with someone like her and and how she was responding and how she was acting. And I felt for my own sanity's sake, for my own kid's sake, that it would be better to end the marriage. So I don't blame my ex-wife for the failure of the marriage. doesn't matter what she did. She had plenty of faults, but so did I. The only thing I can do is take responsibility for my failure in the marriage. Your ego is getting in the way. Your ego is getting in the way. I'm probably going to do a series on ego soon, if not now. We'll see. Um, But as I discover more and more that really what men struggle with here is not the wife and how she does this and how she does that and all these other things like when we first started the the company, what we found is that it's men's ego that is getting in the way. So without further ado, if that's you, if you're the guy who is constantly trying to blame her and look at these external circumstances and situations, you need to check your ego at the front door. Instead of trying to process all the external pain, let's start focusing on the internal pain. Let's start focusing on who we are and how we know to show up and what we must do to move forward. I'll see you on the other side. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome to Empowered AF 2.0. That's right, 2.0, because we are going deeper into the things that I care about and I like to talk about. And while we're still going to talk about marriage and we're still going to talk about divorce and separation and even some practical tools, we want to continue to go deeper into maybe some of the more of the philosophical uh, elements of life. Uh, we want to talk about money. We want to talk about other things that apply to you as a man. Uh, but today we're not going to do that. Today we're still going to talk about uh, some of the topic of separation and divorce. But the philosophy that I'm going to share with you today I believe is impactful and it's so impactful that you should be applying it in every aspect of life. But we're going to apply it to the idea of separation and divorce because this is where the majority of you who listen to my podcast are currently at. Now, when we think about separation and divorce, what usually comes to mind is an obstacle. This is an obstacle. The fact that your wife doesn't want to be with you is a problem. It is an obstacle. And the way men address obstacles or the way we address problems is we have to solve the problem. We have to fix the problem. One of the famous philosophers of the past, Marcus Aurelius, once said, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. What stands in the way becomes the way. I picked up a, a great book by an author named Ryan Holiday over the weekend. In fact, two books, one called The Obstacle is the Way, and then also Ego is the Enemy. Highly recommend these books, as I'll be teaching out of these over the next, probably the next few podcasts, as a matter of fact, because they've really impacted me as I, as I started digesting what he was saying and from a philosophical standpoint and how I, I actually have already said or explained some of these things, but this was a different angle and a way to bring things to light um, that, that maybe we hadn't thought of before. And thinking through this, and I used to have this phrase that I would say, how do you turn obstacles into opportunities? You know, and when you look at your marriage situation, many of you do not see that as an opportunity at all. For me personally, I saw it as an opportunity. 
I saw it as an opportunity to become a completely new man. I saw it as an opportunity to grow to new levels of wealth. I saw it as an opportunity to have a different relationship with my kids. I saw it as an opportunity to have a different relationship with another human being that wasn't my current wife, that, you know, that I would eventually be remarried and, and have a, a completely different relationship um, that would be happy and, and possibly even better than my, my first marriage. So if the, if the obstacle is the way, then it goes to bear the same fruit that we can actually turn obstacles into opportunities. One of the things that Ryan talks about is this idea of objective judgment, which is really about this, is how do you look at these specific problems? Let's think about how you are currently looking at your problem. Whether your wife wants out of the marriage, she's already filed for divorce or not, how are you objectively looking at the problem? This is huge because most guys cannot look at that. Uh, in my rant today, I, I talked about a guy who came into our Facebook group and was surmising to himself that it seems to be that all these women are crazy. And if you look at collectively our stories, they're all doing the same thing. So it must be a midlife crisis, or it must be that they're all on drugs, or it must be that they're all sex addicts. It must be, it must be, it must be. And, and this is how men cope and deal with our egos because our egos are in the way <laughs> and they are the enemy. And so instead of like actually objectively looking at this, what they're trying to do is tell themselves a story that helps answer something that is that is not even necessarily true. This goes back with science. Um, and, and I was texting my wife about this the other day, and it had to do with a, a scientist who talked about the idea of science and how science is really just an explanation of what we think is happening. It's not actually truth. And, and that's how men, especially men of this age, and of this world and how we have developed our culture and our society, look at problems as we try to look at them through this lens of figuring out, instead of accepting what is, what we try to do is, is put some sort of label on it and say, well, this is what it is. It, it goes the same with, you know, when your child has some sort of issue, what we click, quickly want to do is label the child ADHD or label the child with something. Right. And the same went for me where it was like, my wife must have some sort of mental illness. Let's get a label for it so that we can make sense of what is actually happening. And even though there, there was a label and we got a label for it, it didn't change anything of what was really happening. In fact, the truth became further away because now I could blame the thing instead of myself. I could look at her and her actions versus me and my actions. And this is the danger of when we don't use what Ryan calls objective judgment, how you look at your specific problem. When we have guys come into Thrive, before they come into Thrive, they have to have a conversation with one of our advisors. And on that call with our advisor, we really get to the heart of what is actually happening because most men get on our calls and they think that this is about saving the marriage or they think that this is about, if you could just give me some tips on how to get her to come back to me, then I'm golden. And this is because they wanna make sense of everything from a logical standpoint, so that if, if I could say, well, this is what's happening, your wife is cheating on you, and that's why she's lying to you, and that's why she's ignoring you, and so now that you know that, you know, now, now you kinda of know what to do. And, you know, we have guys all the time that'll post in our Facebook group and say, you know, my wife's doing this, and I think she might be cheating, and I'm just not sure, and I'll, and I'll ask them the question, Dude, what does it matter if she's cheating? What would that change if she's cheating? 
Well, you know, what it does is it changes how they respond, how they think about her. And this gets into moral relativism, essentially, or where guys take a moral high ground and say, well, I'm not as bad as her. She's the one who fucked up. She's the one who's sinning really bad. She's the one who's sleeping with another man. And again, because it has nothing to do with her and the issues that she's having, it has everything to do with your ego and not being able to let go of this person that you feel belongs to you because you see her as a possession, not as someone you serve and are in partnership with. See, if you, if you look at your wife through this objective lens, you won't see her as a person that you own. You'll see her as a person that you actually are in partnership with and that you are there to serve with and, and hopefully vice versa where she sees herself as a serve to you, where both partners are serving one another in a healthy way. And what happens is you, you don't look at it that way. You look at it from this lens or this perspective of she's mine and she fucked up and now I have to deal with the consequence of that of do I divorce her? Or do I stay? And this is what happens. Guys go, well, now that I found out she's cheating, do I divorce her? Can I, can I live with the fact that another man's penis has been inside of her vagina? Because of all of our ego issues that come along with it, which again, which is why ego is the enemy. So before we even get into ego and really understand that, we must unpack this objective judgment of what is actually happening inside of you. So when we take a guy through this exercise on our, on our advisor calls, what we're trying to do is help them understand that what you see as the real pain and the real issue is not even close to what the real issue is. See, because this pain of what is happening and what you are going through, what you're experiencing is an external thing. It's an external stimulus. It's something that's from the outside trying to penetrate itself in. But at the same time as this external pain, there's what we call internal pain. And that internal pain is where we want to go on our calls and we're just with every client potentially. Because we want to understand what the core pain for you actually is. If we can help you understand what the core pain is, we then get to the core problem. Too many of you are still trying to figure out the external stuff. And so you're focused on the the, the symptoms, if you will, and how to stop the symptoms instead of getting rid of the actual problem. The, the, the fact that your wife doesn't want to be with you, the fact that your wife might be having an affair, all of those things are just symptomatic pains or symptomatic issues that are not the core issue. Now, there's two sides to this. One, there are core issues within her that must be dealt with, and that is not your responsibility. It is not your responsibility to tell her to go to counseling. It is not your responsibility to hold her accountable. It's not your responsibility to make her be good, to be a good girl. It's not your responsibility to clean her up. It's not your responsibility to make her do what she says she's going to do. That is her responsibility. And in any case where you are doing that, it's called codependency, where you're trying to make the other person be good or be better because it's not about them. It's about you. It's about the fact that you can't live with the fact that they might fuck up, that they might do something bad. So therefore, you have to protect your ego by instilling and making sure that she is doing what she says she's going to do. And that's codependency. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, when a man can become objective about his truth, objective about what he sees in his own self, not in what he's seeing around him, but what he's seeing inside of him and how he's showing up and how he's responding, it changes the game. Here's what I mean. 
most men, when they have this situation where their wife is wanting to leave them, they feel an ungodly amount of pain. And that pain usually has, I don't want to say nothing, but it has very little to do with who she is and what is going on. Most of the time, that pain has to do with unresolved trauma from your past. Because the body keeps score. There's a great book called The Body Keeps Score that talks about trauma and how we keep it in our cells. Literally, it's in the cells of your body. And when you don't resolve that trauma, there are triggers and things that happen that bring to the surface that feeling. And it feels real. And it feels like really, really real. And it's a scary feeling. Men, when we get encountered with real feelings, we don't know what the fuck to do. We back up and we're like, oh my gosh, I don't like this. The one feeling we can deal with is anger because we know what to do with anger. But when we feel sadness, when we feel anxiety and, and tears want to well up in our eyes, a lot of us are taught don't cry because crying's for, for wussies or pussies or whatever you want to call it. A lot of us are taught that crying is weakness. And none of that is, is true. God gave you tears for the sake of being able to cry. He gave you the ability to cry so that you could express emotion, especially sad emotion, not just crying tears of joy when the LA Rams win the Super Bowl or when your favorite player makes the, the all-star game. That's not what the tears are for. Yes, that's fine. You can cry at those things, but the tears are for empathetic things for you, for other people, right? To feel things that you didn't feel before, to allow access to your heart. And so by not using objective judgment, you're keeping yourself in this, in this hole, in this quagmire, if you will, where you're not able to actually see the truth of what is happening. So to, to, to sort of summarize all of that, if I can eloquently do that, you are having an external problem, an external experience, your wife leaving, your wife not wanting to be with you, et cetera, et cetera. And instead of having an objective truth, you start to tell yourself a story about what is actually happening so that you can label and make sense of what is happening. And therefore, by doing so, your ego comes into play, who is the enemy, and, and, and that story is then put through the lens of the ego that nothing I could have done wrong. Like, I didn't do this. I didn't cause her to cheat. I didn't, I didn't do anything. And so, so you get on this moral high ground to protect yourself. And instead of looking at ourselves objectively, we look at ourselves through this glass or lens of moral highness or self-righteousness, as I would call it. And, and through, we, through that lens, we then cry. We then get upset. We then get angry because we can't understand. We can't fathom how somebody would want to leave us how somebody would not want to be in a relationship with us. We just, we just can't fathom it, right? Because we're taught as little children, oh, Johnny, you're such a good boy. Here's your trophy. Oh, Johnny, you did good. Here's your dessert. And we're reinforced over and over again that we're special. We're not special. We're unique, but we're not special. Here's what I mean by that, is that if you go around this world thinking that you are special, that means that everyone else has to give a fuck about you because you're special and that there's something just so special about him that we must pay attention to him. And this is the era of social media that we live in where everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to have a, a platform and do nothing to get the platform other than show off their, their legs or their, their new dancing styles or, or whatever. And, and some of that's fun. I, you know, watch TikTok or whatever and it, and it has its place and I'll, we'll probably actually have a TikTok channel at some point, but it's not, it's not reality. 
And that's the thing is we don't live in an objective truth reality. We live somewhere where we are not able to fully access what is actually going on. So a man then that has his world shattered in the sense that his wife leaves and, 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 or wants out of the marriage and he feels that pain. I'm, I'm fine with you feeling that pain. I'm fine with you crying. I'm fine with you, you know, being upset and you're going to ask the questions. But what I want to do is take you from asking those questions like, why, how could you do this? And all this stuff from, from that place to a place of objective judgment where you look at the specific problem for what it actually is. That this is potentially a cry for help from your wife. That this is particularly an issue where she may not like the things that are happening in your marriage. And for you to then use deductive reasoning to where you go logically, if she didn't want to be in this marriage, what part did I play in doing that? What part did I actually play? So this goes into our attitude and our approach or what we might want to call unselfish action. This unselfish action looks like instead of us making her the focus and trying to do whatever we can to cling and to save and to, to do all these things, instead of trying to do that, where we make ourselves the focus in a healthy way. What I mean by that is we're not trying to get our needs met where we use manipulation. That's where we go, hey, my needs need to be met, so I'm going to manipulate you. So we do that in an unhealthy way. So it's healthy needs trying to get met in an unhealthy way. That's what we call manipulation. We're not talking about manipulation. We're talking about unselfish action. And that unselfish action looks like you going into yourself internally and being ready to do the work on you. This is a big misnomer because so many of you think that you're doing the work. And I'm here to tell you it's bullshit. You're not doing the work. You think you're doing the work, but you're not doing the work. The work is bigger than what you realize. The work is not you showing up to a free support group. The work is not you just going to therapy once a week, getting a few things off your chest, and then going home and sobbing about it. That's not the work. The work is a 24-7 motherfucking grind. It is a grind. It is a grind to go from where you are to where you want to be. The work is, I am not satisfied with who I am. I see who I want to become, and I'm going to do everything in my power to become that. Again, as sports analogies, you, you know, know about me. I like sports and, and football, and I like stories. Following the Cooper Cup story, who's a receiver for the LA Rams, he, he, was, he was a guy who barely made it out of high school into college, meaning like he didn't have a whole lot of offers. He wasn't the kind of guy that you looked at and go, man, that guy's going to be a stud receiver. Just this pretty looking, you know, white boy from, from Washington State. You know, probably, I don't even know what his, his, his high school 40-yard dash was. He, he didn't look the part of an NFL receiver. You know, he wasn't this big, athletic, mean-looking machine. You know, Julio Jones type where he could just, like, get air. Or uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins with these massive hands. You know, he wasn't A.J. Green. You know, he wasn't one of these guys with so much skill. He was a guy who was committed to a process. He was a guy who said, you know, I'm not where I want to be and that's okay because I'm going to do the work every day to get to who I want to become. And so a guy like him who goes through, uh, barely, barely touts it in college, gets to the draft. Um, I can't even remember what, if he was drafted or what round, I think he was third round or something like that. He was drafted. I, I could be wrong. Some of you sports nuts, you'll, you'll hit me up and go, no, he wasn't drafted. Or, yeah, he was drafted in the third round. But the fact is, is he was not highly touted coming out of high school or college. 
but he continued to do the work. He continued to do the work. He got into the Rams organization, put his head down, and continued to do the work. He became a fan favorite because of his hard work ethic. And, and every time he caught the ball, the fans said, Coop, Coop, because that's what he's known to them as, is Coop, Coop, Coop. And so here we are, fast forward five seasons later, I believe this is his fifth season or sixth season in the league, and he has the best season of his life. And not only has the best season of his life, he has the best season practically in the NFL coming up around 40 yards short of breaking Calvin Johnson's all-time receiving yards record in the NFL. All-time record. Now, if you're a purist and you want to look at the 17-game schedule versus 16-game schedule, even if you look at his 16 games, there were some pretty impressive numbers I believe close to 1,800 yards. I think it was 1,700 yards by the 18th game uh, or the 16th game. And he did the work, though, to get to that place. But he wasn't satisfied. He didn't go, well, man, I just had this great season. I might as well hang it up. And I said, no, the Super Bowl is where I want to be. And I'm going to do everything I can in the playoffs. I'm going to continue to put my head down, do the work, do the work, do the work. And I'm going to get into the Super Bowl, they get into the Super Bowl, and he catches two touchdowns, including the game-winning touchdown, I believe less than a minute left, if I'm not mistaken, in the game. With less than a minute left, he does a little out route and catches a one-yard touchdown to seal the game, to win the Super Bowl, and was made Super Bowl MVP. The man knows how to take unselfish action. And what was so cool was that afterwards, when he came up, uh, when he got up on stage and they wanted to announce him as the MVP, you know, he was just so full of uh, uh, probably some element of shame. There's probably some element of shame sometimes with these people, but where, where he was so humble about it, where he was like, I, I just, I can't even believe, like, like, I don't even feel like I deserve to be the MVP. He's like, I, I probably wouldn't even be in the NFL if not for my wife. You know, I, I, and all I could talk about was his team and his team and his team and his team. That kind of, ownership of of himself and 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 who he is and just taking on the work ethic is what makes champions who they are and and he wasn't bragging about how great he was it was literally like i wouldn't even be here without my team but if you look at his work ethic if you look at how he showed up he took unselfish action every single day it's too many of you you're so hurt you're so angry you're so just full of yourself that you don't even know how to take action. And I'm here to tell you, unselfish action looks like you getting in the grind and working on yourself every day. That's why in our Thrive program, we have assignments every single day for 90 days. And those assignments are meant to help you take unselfish action. You're learning how to communicate. You're learning how to set boundaries. You're learning how to move forward. You're learning how to heal. You're learning how to lead. You're learning how to do things that leaders do, that champions do, that owners do, because that's what we create here at Empowered Man. We create men who have got their power, their confidence, and their freedom back because free men are able to freely rule the world. They're able to freely rule their kingdom. They're able to freely build back a kingdom that's 10 times better than what they lost before. I might have lost one kingdom, but I'm building a new kingdom, and that new kingdom is going to be 10, 100, 1,000, a million times better than what I ever have before. 
before because I decided I wanted to do the work and I have not stopped doing the work. I don't care that I've been remarried. I continuously do the work. I continuously own my shit when I don't communicate in a healthy way and my wife calls me out on it and I get back to her and I look her right in the eye and say, hey, it sounds like I didn't hear you well and I need to show up for that. My apologies. Here's how I want to own that moving forward. What can I do right now to help you feel heard? And, and how can I serve you in this moment? How can I make you feel special? Because what I just did right now is not the way I want to show up. And it's not how I want to be the empowered man. You married the empowered man and I will be the empowered man. And so, you know, you go, well, you're, you're, it's great. You know, Mark, you, you, you decided to build this business and, and, and all this. This is great. It's great. Yeah, it is great. But here's the thing is that I have to live it and I have to be it. And I don't just live it just by waking up every day and going, oh, I'm the empowered man. This is great. No, I have to fucking own my shit every single day, probably 10 times more than any of you. I have a team, a growing team, 20, 30 plays, whatever we have right now. And as we continuously grow, we have to look at these things and taking unselfish action and using objective judgment in everything that we do. I'll leave you with this quote. There's so much more I could go on this, but I'll leave you with this quote. This can't harm me. I might not have wanted it to happen, but I decide how it will affect me. No one else has the right. This can't harm me. I might not have wanted it to happen, but I decide how it will affect me. No one else has the right. Guys, that's ownership. That's leadership. When you choose, hey, I didn't like this. I didn't want to be separated. I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want to have to go through this, but I decide how it will affect me. That is ownership. Gentlemen, you can choose today how you decide how you will own this no one else has the right. Your wife can't make you feel a certain way. Your lawyer can't make you feel a certain way. Your friends, your family, no one can make you feel what you feel. It is only you. And you must take ownership of what you feel. We're going to continue rapping about this. Hopefully you guys liked some of the styles a little different from what I normally do in terms of using sort of the book as, a, as kind of a, a gauge for how we talk about some of these things. But I just really understand, you know, really helping you understand that the way through the way through separation and divorce is, is this way. Your separation and divorce is the way. The obstacle, the problem, if you were to define it as that, is the way. It's the way forward. I can't tell you how much better of a man I've become, how much more incredibly grateful of a man I am, how much more wealthy I am, how much, uh, how much more joyful I am, as a man because of my divorce and not because I divorced someone and got out of someone's life, but because I made a choice for me that was right for me, that, that made me take ownership, that made me look at myself. It was the toughest thing I ever did, but it was the thing that gave me a chance to find myself again, to find not just my old identity, but to create and forge a new identity. And that's what I want for you, friends. I'll see you on the other side. Making sure you pay attention to that bourbon moment. We got a lot of good, good, good stuff coming up in that. Welcome to the bourbon moment. Join your host, M. Sizzle, J. Dub, and Mandrew as they sip on some bourbon and spit some truth. Welcome to the bourbon moment. So it actually reminds me when I was in the police academy, we we were doing something similar and. 
basically we, we had to do these building searches. And so, you know, you do building searches where like, basically you go to these abandoned buildings in like the town you you're in. Right. So they brought us to this abandoned UPS building and it's cavernous. It's big, whatever. And like, we did like multiple scenarios over multiple nights. They do it at night. So you can't see shit. You know, you got to use your flashlight. It's like crazy and it's scarier. Right. So you're like put in real conditions. One night they had a canine out and shit. And like, we're like supposed to stay behind the shit. dog. Like it's, this is real stuff. Right. And, I mean, cause they're training us to become police officers. So, so this one night, like we had a team. So it was three of us on a team and we got a call to a disturbance of this building. So we go upstairs and we got our flashlights and we're, you know, doing, doing the whole thing, you know, the call of duty shit. It's like real shit. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've got our guns and stuff. And, um, I, I go around the corner and I see this guy and he's like, Oh crap. And he like runs or whatever. I'm like, Oh shit, there's a guy there. And so like, he looked like he was like doing mopping or something, but it was like, there's, you know, they were just yeah. like, they knew the cops were there. So they were trying to play. And so, um, so I'm like, all right, team, you know, so I'm like getting my team together and we're like supposed to do something. And for whatever reason, one of, one of the people, I'm not going to say it was, it was a girl. Okay. One of the girls on my team decides to try to like go in for some stupid mm -hmm. reason. She gets taken out. They take her flashlight. And so what do they do with her flashlight? They stick it at you. Right. Cause now we're the ones with flashlights going this way in the dark. So we can mm -hmm. light them up. Now they've lit us up. So they've lit up the whole hallway coming at us. And I'm like, this sucks, <laughs> you know? And, and so basically you're stuck there and the instructor's like, you got to do something. You can't just sit there and like, all right, well, we called in help. God, help's going to be here eventually, but you can't just sit here. You're like, you got to move forward with this thing. So mm -hmm. finally we're like, all right, fuck it. So they go, we're coming out. <laughs> so they're like, when they turn off the flashlight and they're like, we're coming for you. <laughs> so I get down on my hands and knees. Now keep in mind, the instructor was one of the instructors him and I had a little fight earlier in the week where I had basically um, was late, but I had a very mm -hmm. good reason for being late. A guy had flipped his car on the road on the way there. So I stopped to help him. And mm -hmm. by stopping to help him, my car got stuck in the mud. This is Florida. It's the middle of nowhere and it's muddy everywhere. So I got stuck. So I ended up being late to uh, defensive driving and he reamed me and didn't believe. And the deputy sheriff that came to help also came and told them, Hey, this is what he did. This is a good this is a good Samaritan act here, right? Well, he mm -hmm. fucking hated me because of that. So we had we had some some drama, if you will. Some beef. We had some beef. Yeah. So so he he comes he comes around the corner. I get on my hands and knees. <laughs> as soon as he comes around, I go, pop, 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 shut him right in the nuts. Fuck! Pop, pop, he shoot back at me. Oh man. I got you, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, fun times in the police academy. This academy sounds fun from the way that you share. About it. <laughs> it was rough, but it was fun too. Have you guys ever done one of those escape rooms? Yeah. We should do that as a team. Yes. I did one. The last one that I did, I went with a, when I worked at this, I helped grand open this gym called hardcore fitness in San Diego, a couple of the locations. And they used to have challenge teams. We would take them through a 60 day challenge and whoever won at the end, like the greatest transformation, won $10,000. One of the guys that I took through this challenge actually won. I have a picture with him holding the giant check. It's a really cool experience, but I took this team to an escape room. I didn't look everything up about this escape room before, and they have you sign a release. That should have been an indicator that this is going to be intense as fuck. So right when we go in, we sign the release, 
they start playing the video for us to watch as we go in. As we're watching the video, lights go, all lights off, both doors open. They run in, put a thing over your head, grab you, put your hands behind you and walk you in. And they tell you, this is a part of the experience at the escape room. And they're saying it just over and over. And it's kind of like morbid. It's kind of like, what the fuck is happening? I'm put into, and like, I'm hearing the sound of pipes and I'm hearing like, ding, 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 ding. And then you hear like fire crackling and you're not sure if these are sounds, but then as you're walking through, you know, those things that shoot air out, they're just like, like that happens like four or five times. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And then I'm taken into a room. I hear a door open and I'm hearing drip, drip. That's all I can hear. And there I'm handcuffed to a wall. It's pitch black. And then like 30 seconds later, lights come on for everyone else. I can see light like through the other side. My shit's pitch black. I'm thinking, what the fuck? And they have you give them your phone and everything. So you have no flashlight. I had my Apple watch. So I'm sitting in there and I'm like trying to look around to see what's happening. I'm attached to piping and it's like a little maze. So I'm like moving around through it and people are yelling like, oh, what's in your room? No one's asking like, Joey, what's in your room? I'm stuck in some room with a bunch of piping. So I'm going through it. And I'm thinking like, maybe it's not easy to get off because I'm going through this for like 15 minutes trying to get through it. Long story short, I ended up yanking really fucking hard, pulled a part of the piping off. Not, I didn't realize that wasn't a part of the game. I thought I was supposed to use that eventually. So we go through this entire experience we get to the end and I'm thinking like, hell yeah, we crushed it. We ended up uniting as a team. We got DQ'd at the end because yours truly was holding the pipe on his arm. And I'm sitting there like this. Like, I feel like I'm dope because I've got the pipe and everything. And I'm like this. I don't know what we were supposed to use this for. Apparently, you're not supposed to break the pipe off. I was like right there at the end, but still I was stuck to it with handcuffs. So whenever we go, I think it'll be a fun experience because now I've learned, like, you don't break the pipe off, but I've gone with my family. And that makes a very interesting experience. Going with your family when it's like the older kids, like my little brother, when he was turning 16, we went and it was like me my mom, my uncle, my grandpa, my aunt, and my cousin, who's also 16. And then my cousin, who's 21. So we're all older. Dude, the power dynamic that was an experience like people just bickering over shit and i'm just like trying to figure out we're like stuck in a presidential room in that one so everyone was in the same room we should do that as a company sounds fun not the one that we have to sign a release form no yeah not about that's arizona trip we should also go skydiving and tattoos (laughs) skydiving i think i would get a tattoo before i go skydiving Dude, let's go whitewater rafting. I think my life insurance policy would accru- would be okay with me skydiving. Okay. <laughs> would that lessen your life insurance policy? Uh, probably would fuck it up. <laughs> they were strict about me smoking once this year. We just won't tell them. Yeah. Dude, I'll strap you to me. I'll be like, Mark, you got this? Ha! <laughs> Next thing we'll you know, the picture. insurance adjuster is checking out, doing an audit of my podcast. And here's the bourbon moment where Joey's talking about us going skydiving. He's like, hmm. That it's wasn't in his application. It's hypothetical. hypothetical. If there's no photo, they can't prove it. Yeah. Somehow this day and age, they'd find a photo somewhere. I don't know where. 
I just have a GoPro first person view. <laughs> it's like Mark, <laughs> marks on your yeah, marks on your chest, your head. You yeah. Look, I don't know. <laughs> Mark, we're gonna jump in three, two. Ah, dude, it was an experience when I went. I let him hang hang me out the door for a minute. The scariest moment wasn't jumping out. It's like when the parachute actually catches. Because then at that point, you're thinking, like, how thin is this parachute? What's keeping it from? Yeah. It didn't happen, though. Gotta love physics. Right? Negative 9.8. Gravity pushing down on you at all times. Yeah. One of the few things I retained from physics. Thanks for joining us on the Bourbon Moment. This is your host, M. Sizzle. I've got Mandrew and I got J Dub. And we are out. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks again for joining us on this episode of Empowered AF 2.0. If you're new here, thanks for checking out this episode. And I encourage you to take a visit back to the first episodes in this podcast. Look, we have over 50 episodes on the foundations of how to be an empowered man. I'm talking about in your relationship with your wife, your kids, your work, your boss, whoever and whomever. And I highly suggest you take some time to listen and gain some insight and knowledge from those episodes. And hey, if you want to connect with me deeper, be sure to check out the Empowered Man group. That's empoweredman.co slash group empoweredman.co slash group for latest information and to join our group of other men who are wanting to be empowered just like you. Until then, this is Mark signing off, Empowered AF 2.0.